today, as, as we're looking at what the Word of God has for us, I, I couldn't help but think about how uh, God often gives us pictures for things that help us to understand things. And we may not understand the subtleties of those pictures sometimes. You know, if, if, you're, if you're just reading in the Old Testament and you read the story about Abraham and Isaac and going to sacrifice Isaac on that mountain, you know, that God had told him to do that. And Abraham doesn't do that because the angel stopped him and there's a, a ram caught in the bushes. You, you read that story and if you lose the context of it, you miss that it's really a future picture of what God's going to do through Christ, right? God gives us a picture and then he expands on it. And it's a little bit like trying to describe the Grand Canyon to someone. Uh, you know, if you've never been to the Grand Canyon, I hope that you'll get to go sometime because it really is worth seeing with your own eyes. And if I tried to explain it to you today and you've never seen it or you've never seen a picture of it, it's really hard to do that in words. And, and simple words don't, don't really describe that, you know, it's a, it's a big canyon, it's a big ditch, you know, kind of thing. It just doesn't, it doesn't do it. But if I can do that with a picture, you know, the saying that a picture really is worth a thousand words because when you see it that way, you get to see a little bit of the vastness of it. And, and maybe if we showed you that picture of the canyon, you'd see the, the micro canyons that aren't really micro, but compared to the Grand Canyon, they're pretty small that feed into that. And, and maybe if we showed you a picture of people taking a, a helicopter flight down into the Grand Canyon as they do, do with some of those helicopter tours, it would give you a little bit of the scale and the size of the Grand Canyon. You'd be able to, you'd be able to see that and maybe be able to picture that. Well, the passage that we're looking at today is actually teaching us this morning about two things. The first thing that it's teaching us about is actually not the main thing that it's teaching us about. It's kind of funny, isn't it? The first thing that it's teaching us about is what it means for us to live with Christian marriage. Now, I need to go ahead and just give kind of the public service announcement this morning about that. If, if you're not a Christian this morning, this makes no sense. It absolutely is confounding. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't register why this would be important for us because you're lost in the larger picture of what's going on. And, and I just wanna say that to you this morning because our desire would be that every person that's in the room have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you would know Christ that you would have been saved by Christ's work on the cross that we were just singing about, that you'd repented of your sins and trusted him as your savior, believing that God raised him from the dead and that he now sits at the right hand of the Father. That, that's what we desire for you to know and for you to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because then this starts to make a little bit of sense this morning. If you don't have that, this is gonna sound like I'm talking out of, out of a, a different language you've never heard before. The second thing this passage teaches us really though is about the church's relationship to Christ and how all of God's great purposes for us come through the church. And, and it's actually more important than marriage. And I, I'm gonna speak a lot about marriage today, but I'll try to come back and, and kind of tie a bow on it about the church because this is important. Uh, and I think we often don't understand this. We might say this morning, well, how could marriage be more important, or, or the church rather, be more important than marriage? And I just remind you that the church and what God's doing with this gathered group of believers goes on into eternity, right? But marriage doesn't. Do you remember that? Jesus, when, when he was kind of trying to be tricked one time, somebody said, hey, there was this guy and he was married to this lady and he died. And because of the Levite marriage that was supposed to take place, the brother and then another brother, and it kind of keeps going on. It says, when they get to heaven, 
whose wife will this lady actually be? Which one of the brothers? You remember what Jesus said? He said, you don't understand anything about this because when you get into heaven, they're neither giving in marriage or taking in marriage. It it doesn't work that way. It ceases to be as we understand it uh, in this world. I keep feeling like I'm flashing Dane with my watch down here. There it is. I'm, I'm just, it's driving me crazy. I don't know if it's driving him crazy. I mean, you know, normally when a Baptist pastor takes off his watch, you know what it means? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. We're going to preach as long as we want to. Uh, but I have clocks up here, so we'll be good to go. Um, I apologize for that if I was blinding you guys this morning. Uh, but, but when you think about it, you know, we're not going to be taking in marriage and giving in marriage in eternity. Now, I say that to say that's the important of this. Now, I also want to give you a disclaimer. A couple of years ago, it's been many years ago, and now, uh, I guess now, uh, my brother-in-law, Justin, and I were, were traveling together. We were doing a little, a little bit of work uh, on, on a church that was, that was uh, in another state. And we met the pastor that day, and I had some familiarity with him, had known him a little bit in the past. And um, he said to us, you know, I'm so glad you guys are here this week. It's going to be a good week. Appreciate y'all coming and helping us. And he said, you know, on Wednesday night, we'll have worship in here. I want you guys to be part of it. And I was like, okay, that's good. And he said, I'm in a series on the family. And I'm like, okay, that's good. And he said, I took the men out last week and I'm going for the women this week. And I was like, oh, well, that's gonna be interesting, isn't it? And I happened to notice that in that, in that message, there was a lot of amening going on, but it was like this, amen. It wasn't amen. You know, it, it was different. And I started looking around the room and that was because there were only two women in the room last night. They knew what was coming and they left, you know? And, and so I, I want to just say that that's not the point of the passage is to take somebody out or take on somebody. That's not what we're doing. God's trying to give us a picture. And he's given us a picture of what Christ has done in his relationship with the church, but he does it through marriage. Let's read chapter five, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his own body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Now, as Paul starts this passage, it's actually an expansion of the passage that we looked at last week. We were talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you would remember with me, we said that three things were going to happen if we were filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we were taking a pop quiz, you all just failed. So I'll help you remember what they were, right? Because I couldn't even remember what they were. Sometimes I have to look back. You have to use the cheat notes. Joy comes out of our lives. Remember we talked about singing those songs, making uh, spiritual hymns and choruses and singing them and speaking them to one another. So there's joy in our lives. 
Then it said that there'd be thankfulness, being thankful to God in Christ Jesus for everything. And then it said that we would have a submissive spirit, a yielding spirit to one another through Christ Jesus. And he said that that marks a church, that marks a group of people who have come to know Jesus Christ. And now he expands on that submission a little bit further and he describes two things that are found in a godly marriage by saying first, you'll find submission in the home from a wife to her husband and you'll find love in a home from a husband to his wife. Now, I'm not really sure why whenever we preach this passage, there's always somebody that comes up to me and just says this, I hate that word submit. And I always just say, well, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't write it, but God did take it up with him. I mean, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. I, I find that a funny statement for us to make. Now, the reason that we make that statement oftentimes is because we never like what challenges us in the scripture. Can we be honest this morning? Can we just kind of lay that out there? Is that anything that makes it hard for me, I, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I want to wrap my head around that. But here's what we should be worried about. We should be worried about being faithful and obedient to the word of God. And if we understand this passage of scripture, we can't get around it any other way but to say, God says that there's something important about a wife who submits to her husband. Now let's define that really quickly and what that means. We talked about it last week, but submission is not because, hey, you finally won and so I give in. That, that's not it. Submission is not like in, in a wrestling match when you put somebody in an arm bar and they tap out, they submit, you know, like I, I, I've finally given up. That's not what it is. It's the yielding of your desires and your thoughts about the way something ought to be to the way God would have it to be. That's what we talked about earlier last week. And now it says the same thing happens, placing yourself under someone else's authority. That's what submitting means. And so when we look at this, we have to understand that in today's world, anything passes for marriage, but not in the scripture. It just doesn't work that way. In today's world, anything will pass for marriage. And if we're trying to please the culture, we're gonna to fail to please God. And if we try to please God, we'll fail to please the culture. And that's just the way that it is. And so for us as biblical Christians to understand this means that we, we have to obey the commands of the Lord in such a way that as we live them out, God is glorified. Now, what this doesn't mean is the idea that a, a woman is trampled on in a marriage. That would obviously counter, uh, be counterproductive to what God said when he said, husbands, love your wives. So let's understand this a little bit. And I wanna remind you that this passage, as a lady, makes you obedient and faithful. So let's go back to the beginning for a moment, if we could. Why did God create marriage? What's the purpose? You remember in Genesis chapter one and two, God's creating the heavens and the earth and he's adding all the animals and the fish to the sea, birds to the sky, plants, all those kinds of things. And God has Adam who he has created. He's made man in his own image. And God says, as I look around, I see that there is not a suitable helpmate for Adam. Adam was given a responsibility. He was to care for the Garden of Eden and he was to have authority. And that's an important word that we do not like to deal with because we don't like to be under anyone's authority. But let me tell you something. If you don't understand authority, you don't understand the Bible. We are under authority. All of us, we're under authority. So when God placed animals and the kingdom under Adam's authority, all the animals passed by and Adam's naming them and there's not a suitable helper for Adam. And so what does God do? Well, in Genesis chapter two, what we begin to see is something beautiful. Genesis chapter two, verse 20, the man gave names, to all the livestock, birds of the sky, every wild animal, but for the man, 
No helper was found corresponding to him. Leave that verse up there for just a second because I want you to look at those two words that are very important. If I could underline them, I would, but it would be no helper and then this idea of corresponding. Very, very important. When it says helper, it's kind of getting to something that's pretty important for us to understand. There is not a man alive that can do everything by himself. You, you can't do it. It's absolutely impossible. And if I could, if you men would just be honest with me for a minute, I'm gonna give you, this is an amen moment for you. This is where you say, uh, men cannot do everything. They need some help. Thank you. First time y'all hadn't lied around here in a long time. You know what I'm saying? But this is different. And it's a little bit sometimes different in the way that God has created us to be men and women. And you say, well, how do, I mean, how do you know that, Pastor? And I, I'll, just, I'll, give you, I'll give you a quick thing. I've been in churches all around. I've pastored a couple of churches. I've grown up in church my whole life. And it's a funny thing. We have a lot more widows than we do widowers. Why is that? Because men need some help. There was a lady here, many of you who would remember her name if I called it. And when my father was the pastor here, I mean, she was in her 90s. He would see her and he'd say, uh, you've been dating this weekend? And she'd say, I don't need no man. I had a man once. I don't need another man. Get on out of here. Tease him, right? It's different for a man. God understood that men need help. Women bring things to men that they simply don't have. And that's important for us to recognize and understand that in the way God created all of us, he created us for relationship, not only with himself, but with each other. Then it said corresponding. That's very important. That word actually just means face-to-face. And it's pictured a few verses later in a deeper meaning when it said that the two become one flesh. They correspond to one another face-to-face. And as men and women fulfill their God-given designed roles, God receives glory. Now, here's what we're not talking about. We're not talking about functional roles. And this is where so many people just absolutely ruin this and miss this. Do you know what the scripture's not talking about here? It's who keeps the checkbook. It's not talking about who cooks. If you wanna be happy at home, the person who manages money well should keep the checkbook. If you wanna eat well at home, the person who cooks well at home should cook. That's just how it works. We're not talking about those kinds of things. That, that, that's not what it is. But we're talking about in the way that we relate to one another, the roles that we have. God says, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. So God's a God of order. In fact, these roles are actually modeled for us. I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse three. It says this, but I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, the man the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Authority. Do you see how it works? Over and over again. Does that mean that, that, that there's something different about Christ and God the Father? No, but Christ was always willing to be submissive to the will of God the Father. Philippians 2 tells us that he left his home in glory forsaking what was rightfully his, took on the form of flesh as a man, humbled himself, died on a cross. When you look at God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you see God the Son submissive to God the Father's will. You see God the Holy Spirit never trying to grab attention for himself, but always pointing people to who? Jesus. It's a God of order. It's the same way here. Now, I just answered something that you may have missed because it's not about equality, equal. Are we equal, men and women? Of course we're equal. It has nothing to do with that. In fact, in, in today's church, 
A lot of people talk about this in terms of marriage. They talk about it in two different ways. They say, uh, there's, there's this group that says we're egalitarian, meaning we're worried about being equal with one another. You don't need to worry about being equal with one another. We are equal with one another. Uh, Galatians chapter three, verse 28 and 29 already covered all of that for you because Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, Scythian, barbarian, male or female, all are one in Christ. It's it, everybody. It'd be like saying is, is the Trinity equal? Of course, it has nothing to do with equality so don't get thinking about this and kind of get lost in the idea that we're somehow talking about rights. We're not talking about rights, we're talking about roles. What a difference. If you're worried about your rights all the time, do you know what you're always doing? You're losing. If you go to work tomorrow and you're worried about your rights all the time, you're already behind. If you show up here and you wanna have a conversation with me about your rights, you're already behind. If you understand your role, it changes things. Now, a further statement about this. We're obviously not talking about working relationships where a man and a woman work together. We're talking about marriage in the church. I've worked for women that led a division that I worked under them, and, and that was fine. And she needed to submit to her husband as to the Lord, not to Jeff Mims as to the Lord. I'm not her husband. It says to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so this is an incredible thing for us to understand. When a wife submits to her husband, she's doing something that honors the Lord. We'll come to some practical implications about that in just a second, but I want you to think about what this would have meant in the days in which they were living. And this was an incredible thing for a wife to have to do because people weren't marrying out of love. They were marrying out of convenience or a transactional proposition for status. So you can imagine that maybe the person you're married to is not all that great in your eyes. You're kind of thinking like, I mean, I, I didn't really pick him. My parents picked him. Or my dad thought it would be good for our family if I married this family and, and we went through that. When you understand that context of Paul saying to a lady, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. But then Paul doesn't stop there. He talks to the husbands. He talks about husbands who love and he does this by talking about loving a wife as Christ loved the church. Now, there are three words that are often used in the Greek language for love. And, and that's a little lost on us because we just say love for everything. You love McDonald's fries. You love apple pie. You love going outside. You love all those kinds of, it's, it's not the same. There was the word eros, not found in the, in the New Testament because it's the word where we kind of get that adjective from erotic. It's fleshly love and that kind of thing. And and that's not what Jesus is talking about, obviously. There's phileo, maybe you've heard that, or you, you think you've heard that as you talk about the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, right? There's a fondness of there. But then there's another word, agape, which is an unconditional love made by choice. That's interesting, isn't it? Which one do you think that Paul is talking about here? He's probably not talking about being fond of your wife, because Christ wasn't fond of you. He made a choice to die for you while you were still a sinner, went to the cross, suffering for us. And so it's the agape love, it's unconditional. And this new church is living in a, a dualistic society. It's a, a little bit difficult for them because on the one hand you have Jews who women in, in their day were, were treated, again, as we've talked about, kind of like as transactional propositions, you know, almost even property. And then you have the Greeks who wouldn't even allow the women to, to be housed in the same area with the men. They, they made them eat separately. It was all separated out. 
But what's going on here is this is groundbreaking. Paul's looking at church and saying, you need to love your wife unconditionally, choosing to love them. A love that's unconditional changes everything, doesn't it? Because we submit to Christ as he has loved us in this way. He's loved us unconditionally. And we as the church then submit to what he says. I, I think that's what's actually wrong with so much of the church today is we're not submitting to the will of God anymore. We're submitting to the will of man or we're submitting to what we want or what we desire. And we forget that the reason that we're submissive to Christ was Christ loved us unconditionally, gave himself for us. That makes it easy to see, doesn't it? Why a woman might be able to submit to a husband who loved her in this way. It's not about showing power in marriage. It's about picturing Christ's relationship to the church. And I want you to see these three descriptors, men, that God gives us to understand what it's like to love a wife in the way that we need to. If you would look back with me at verse 25, you'll see that Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. If you understand this, Christ giving himself to the church did something the church couldn't do for itself. What was that? We couldn't deal with our own sin. So Christ dying in our place cleanses us from all of our sin and we become holy and we're set apart. And loving a wife in this way is an incredible thing because what Christ did for us allows us to be exactly who we were created to be, exactly who we were intended to be. God gives us that ability through Christ and Christ alone. You can't be all that God created you to be as long as sin is the barrier between you and God. It doesn't work. And so when you think about a husband loving a wife this way, giving himself for her so that she might be different, set apart, holy, to be the best that she could be. Then in verse 28, it says that, that we love in the, in the way that we love our own body. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves the wife loves himself. Well, I mean, how much do you love yourself? I'll answer it for you, a lot. You do. Last night, um, my wife uh, brought in some new ice cream into the home. You know that I appreciate a good bowl of ice cream. And I was asked to do the scooping. And I did the scooping. And then as I was walking, I was weighing both of those bowls because I wanted the bigger one. Why? Because I love me. Sometimes more than I love anybody else. We love ourselves. You understand what he's saying here is he says, if you love your wife like you love your own body, what will you do? You'll care for your wife. You'll think about your wife in the same way that you think about yourself. When you're hungry, you think about you. When you wanna buy something, you're, you're obviously just thinking about you. It changes for us here because Christ loved the church like he loved his own body. And if you think about this, this is kind of an incredible thing. I don't think we'll ever know the depths of how much we love ourselves but Christ loving the church like his own body does something in us as the body of Christ. How do we return that love for him? Praise and adoration. We sing his songs. We lift up his name. We serve him because we love him. Right? We recognize how much he has loved us and that in turn does something that's incredible for us. Loving your wife, gentlemen, is like making deposits into your own bank account. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. 
loving your wife does something incredible. It's, it's kind of like I, I tell every couple that we're about to marry a, a friend of mine uh, many years ago who had been married for a little while, as uh, I was asking him about my upcoming wedding and marriage and everything, I said, well, I mean, any advice or anything like that? And he said, yeah, marriage is the whole idea of you getting over yourself. Hmm. Well, I'm going to be in for a long haul here, buddy. Uh, because I got a lot to get over, me, right? I mean, that, that's what it is. But when we truly begin to understand one another, it becomes this idea of, can we outdo one another in love? I mean, it, it becomes that idea in a marriage where I'm thinking about my wife and, and hopefully she's receiving that love that, that I'm giving to her and, and that makes it easy for her to submit to the place that God has put me in authority over our family. We'll come back to that. Finally, it says in verse 31, that Christ loved us and we're to love our wives over all relationships. And it's kind of pictured for us when it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And if you understand what he's saying there, he's saying that the marriage relationship is unlike any other relationship that we have. It supersedes all relationships. I know this is hard sometimes for us to imagine, especially when we're new in marriage, but your mom and dad aren't the most important anymore. That's hard, right? I love doing uh, this one little exercise in premarital counseling. It introduces a little bit of conflict, but it's an important part of it, I think. Some of you I see in the room have, have sat through some of those things that we've done. And one of the homework assignments I give every couple in the first thing we do is I said, uh, you have an assignment before you come back. You're to think about the holidays this year and let your family know your holiday plans. <gasps> but we celebrate Christmas at my house every year. Guess what? He does too. You know, I, yeah, you know we go to, to my folks for Thanksgiving. Guess what? She goes to the, her folks for Thanksgiving. You gotta figure this out, right? You are a family now. You know, by the way, I love that Pastor Jack has just instilled in all of us through the years as our family and discipleship pastor. You're not a family when you have kids. You're a family when you're married. That's it. It's a family. That's a family. So you, you decide, what, what are you going to do this year? What's going to work? How are you going to navigate that? It's more important than mom and dad. It's more important than children. Can I get an amen on that, please? Man, in a hovering, child-centered world, it's more important than children. It is. You're not hurting your kids by spending time with your spouse. You're not. You're picturing for them that they are not the most important person in the whole world. Because they're not. None of us are, right? You're, you're teaching them something. So this supersedes all that. By the way, it supersedes friends. It, it's more important than your friends. I, Everybody ought to have friends. You know, it's, it's not that a, a, a husband or a wife shouldn't go out and do things with their friends and, and enjoy it. You should. That, that's, that's a vital part of, of life, and, and I hope that you do that. But it supersedes that. It supersedes your work relationships. There's no other relationship like this. Why is it that way? It's because Christ, for us as his people, has valued us above everything else. You can't even imagine what he gave up to come and value you. We have a little foretaste of it with salvation, but we don't know how awesome heaven is compared to this. Sometimes, you know, we go to the mountains and we, we look at it, we think it's so beautiful. You go to the beach and you just enjoy it. It's the best week ever. Heaven is going to make the beach look like a garbage dump. I'm telling you, it's going to. We can't even, we can't even conceptualize that. It's so much purer. It's so much cleaner. It hasn't been ruined by us. 
So when we see that, we don't even know what he gave up for us. So that relationship that he has for us, he gave his life for us and he values us and we're to value the relationship we have with our spouse, men in the same way. He's done that for us. And I think it begs the question for us as believers, do we recognize that and are we valuing that back by submitting to his authority in our lives? A lot of people give lip service to the Lord. I know Jesus. Really, is your life surrendered to him? I love the Lord, really? Are you under his authority or are you the king of your life still? If we don't get that, we don't understand that. And, and I, I get the feeling sometimes in church that we don't really see it this way, that this is the most important relationship that we have is Christ and the church because oftentimes we think of church in such unbiblical terms. We think of this as an experience. This is not an experience. Go to the Ryman and get an experience. It's great to have those. I love those, but this is not an experience. This is not a consumeristic place where you, you come and if we do what you like, you get to stay and you get to pick the things that you like. And that's not what this is about. This is a surrendered body of believers trying to serve the Lord Jesus Christ because he has loved us and we want to submit our lives to his word. It's very different. I think sometimes we don't understand the importance of that because we blow it off. How important is church to you? Very. What's your attendance look like? It's an important question for us. And today, probably more than ever, this passage of scripture in America could be groundbreaking. And here's why. It was absolutely earth shattering in Paul's day. Because a man thinking about loving his wife, what do you mean love my wife? I've got a wife. She's the mother of my children. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as unto the Lord, to that guy. I didn't pick him, he's a bozo. My parents thought he was great. My dad just wanted to, to get our status up. In the, it, doesn't, it was groundbreaking, but it is for us too because it gives us some pictures that are very important. First, marriage between a man and a woman. Any other way you try to slice that, any other way you try to make that, it doesn't work. There's no helper, there's no corresponding, there's no authority in what God has done, it doesn't work. So as believers, as we live out a Christ-centered marriage, understanding that, that, that God has placed authority structures in our lives and commands to love and commands to submit, all of a sudden things start to change. Now let me give you a practical application before I finish that thought. So people always ask me this like, so are you the boss of your house? That is the dumbest question I've ever heard in my life. No, I'm not trying to be the boss of my house. Anytime more than I'm trying to be the boss of the church. What does that even mean? I have never made a decision Hardly that I can think of. I mean, I've thought about this all week and I can't think of one that has not come through a conversation with my wife. Do you know why? Because she's smart. Do you know why? Because she's wise. Do you know why? Because every morning when I'm leaving the house, I'm watching her open the word and she's mining the word for the riches that God has for her in the morning. And I know that that's going to, to overflow into my life. And so I'm not out here trying to make decisions for our family or our lives without talking to my wife. That would be lunacy. I'm not doing it. 
I make every decision with her advice, consent, understanding. But there's a couple of things about this idea of the husband being the head of the house. Guys, do you know what that means? You are the spiritual head of the house. Don't be looking to your wife and saying, well, what, what kind of devotions are you doing with the kids? Mm-mm. If you can't do that, you better find one of us and, and let us help you learn how to do that. You're the spiritual leader of the home. The temperature that is spiritually being taken in the home, it starts and ends with you, pal. Your job. Now, there have been times, perhaps, where Kathy and I couldn't come to maybe the best decision together. We'd talk about it, talk about it, pray about it, and it just didn't seem like we could get on the same page. And in those times, I have absolutely looked at her and said, well, I guess this one falls to me, and I'm gonna walk out on this tree limb and start sawing, and I hope that God is gonna catch me when I fall, and you get to sit back over here, and if you're right, please don't say it, but we'll all know it. We'll all know it, but I got to make this decision and I'm just going to have to do it. And I'm going to trust the Lord for this. And I'm so grateful that she has never looked at me and said, I told you so, because she could have so many times in my life, but she has joyfully submitted to those, those moments in our lives to say, you know what? God's placed this on you. I'm going to trust that by trusting the Lord, I'm trusting you and you're trusting the Lord. Let's go. Authority sounds fun until you're on that tree branch sawing, doesn't it? Yeah. Guys, if we understood this, ladies, if we understood this, we would understand that what we're trying to describe in our marriage to people, especially in these days, is the relationship of God's universal church to Christ Jesus. It's a testimony. You never thought that you could live out loud with a testimony just by being married. But that's the days in which we're living in. And it's a crucial thing that the church understands this. If we take our cues from a feministic movement or we take our cues from some kind of dogmatic men's group movement, we, we miss the whole thing of what God's trying to picture here. Christ doesn't walk around going, I'm in charge, do what I say. He's the Lord of all. He could make the wind and the waves be still, but notice his interactions with people. He didn't have to tell them about his authority. He demonstrated it because it was strength under control. That marriage that we have now between a man and woman, it looks so countercultural for different reasons than it did 2,000 years ago. Then it would have been incredible to see people loving and submitting to one another because it raised the standard. Today it raises the standard as well because too many people see marriage as a contract of mutually agree upon terms. You didn't get married under a contract with if then statements. If you do this, then I'll do this and we'll all be happy. If you do that, then I'll do this and we'll be happy. You take care of your half, I take care of my half. That doesn't work. God has so much more for us than that. So I want to ask you this question today. And I guess it's three parts, but it really is one question, isn't it? Wives, starting with you, because that's where the scripture started with, are you submitting to your husbands as unto the Lord? And if not, 
Why not? Husbands, are you loving your, your spouse, your wife, as Christ loved the church? And maybe I'll, I'll ask it this way. What's the last thing you gave up for your wife? Christ gave his life for the body. What have you given up? If not, why not? And church, are we submitted to the will of God as we should be? Because Christ wants to present us holy, spotless, blameless on the day where we will be paraded before all the saints uh, as we are up in that, in that great spot in heaven where, where all the saints are coming in to praise the Lord and roll their crowns at the feet of Jesus and, and just give that glory and honor to him that should be his, I, I would like nothing more than for the Lord to say, good job, Judson Baptist Church. You were faithful. You were submissive. Christ loved you, and look what came out of it. Now, before we pray, I haven't talked about this in terms of being single. But if you're single and you're dating someone, if you're a lady, can you imagine that person being the head of your house? It's a good question. If you're a man, can you imagine loving that woman in such a way that you'll give everything you have so that she becomes all that God intended her to be? Would you do that? If not, you better think long and hard about who you're about to ask to marry or who you say yes to when they propose. These are important days, important things for us. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. I'm gonna ask you to join me in prayer. And this really is a time for us to do a little bit of reflection. And if you're married, I would encourage you maybe to let the reflection on this period or this passage of scripture, I guess, continue to when you get home this afternoon, maybe just have some, some real conversations about, do you feel like, husband, maybe you'd ask your wife, be bold. Do you feel like I'm loving you? Like Christ loved the church? Wives, do you feel like I'm submitting unto you as unto the Lord? Father, our hearts today are probably a little bit troubled as we have read this passage of scripture because no matter our gender, male or female, Lord, we know that the standard has been raised we know you've, you've done that for your own purposes and your glory so that we could picture something for the world. That Christ has loved us in a way that I don't think we'll ever be able to fathom. God, you are good. Your word is precious to us. We want to follow it. We want to live it. We want to submit our lives to it. And so, Father, I pray in this room today that there would be just a real sense amongst our wives and our husbands of the role that you have called them to in their families. Father, that you would build strong marriages with strong men and women who follow after you. Lord, thank you that the the playing field is level. It's equal at the cross. We all enter as, center, as sinners and we all leave as saints because of the work that Christ did for us. And Father, our prayer today is that Judson Baptist would be able to 
model that for the world. And Lord, that you would find us faithfully submitted to your word and living in a way that honors you today. And we ask these things today in Jesus' name, amen.